This episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by readers like you. Visit idlethumbs.net slash idlethumbs slash idlethumbs for this episode. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Ah, oh, just play the new My February 13th, 2013. This is Idle Thumbs 94. I'm Chris Rimmel. I'm Jake Rodkin. And I'm Sean Vanneman. You were stoked to get in in front of me on the bookcast this week, or last week. I'm so sorry. No, it, was, it doesn't matter. The bookcast doesn't matter. It was so good, though, that you, you like... Oh, yeah. It's people true. can yeah. hear, like, the light foley of you, like, your cloth shuffling around on your shirt as you were trying to, like, do the <laughs> finger guns at me over and over again. I was just really happy to be second chair, just for once. It was good. I think it worked Never out for again. Us. You were all energetic. I think you liked the, the the cool easiness that was third chair. Oh, I yeah. see. Yeah. The cool easiness. Yeah. I was basking in that cool easiness. Yeah. You did good. Yeah. yeah. People should listen to that episode of the Idle Book Club. Oh, man. Jake and I went to Dice. <laughs> oh, shit. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. We went to Dice this week. Yeah. I completely I was just forgot trying to about think that. I was like, I was like, feeling crappy. I was like walking back my body. I was like, I felt okay yesterday. I felt bad the day before that. I felt really bad the day before that. And I felt awful the day before that. Where was Oh, Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. We don't have a ton to say about Dice. Dice is really peculiar. Have you ever been? I have. I've been a bunch of times. Oh. We didn't actually don't go to the... Don't you find it weird? We yeah, didn't go to the like conference, it. though. No, we walked around. It was around. weird to be at a video game conference in a casino. I never went to E3 but back... But it's not like on the Strip. It's at... It's at the, the Hard, Hard Rock. Rock. So it's, it's just... Oh, the Hard Rock? It's not at Red Rock anymore? No, this no. year it was at the Hard Rock. Oh. It's the first year it's at Hard it's, Rock. It's oh. not on the Strip, but it's it's like a 15-minute walk from the Strip. But oh, it's okay. a Strip-style casino. It used to be farther out. Yeah. 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 It was peculiar. We got there and had nothing to do, so we played craps. Mm-hmm. That was... So we did play a game this week. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Craps. Good mechanics. <laughs> Sick <Yeah>. graphics. <laughs> How's the how's the lore? Uh, you know, I think uh, it doesn't emphasize narrative, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it definitely has an arc to uh-huh. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Dice is so peculiar because it's like it's you see all the video game business people in one place, <laughs> and that's always very strange to me. Where it was very strange, but the Dice Awards were cool. Like they were actually really well done. And remember when I was t- I was bitching and moaning Do about they the VGAs? Still have, like, what's that guy? Oh, Jay Moore? Jay no, Moore it was Chris Hardwick. Hardwick from The Nerdist. He was very good. Interesting. Yeah, we were all really impressed. He was like really nice and gracious. A drunk guy stormed the stage. Well, it was the, that, that was the notable event of the Dice Awards, I think, because yeah. they do what like what the VGAs do and what a lot of awards shows seem to do increasingly, which is splice together a montage of like six winners in a row, which is always probably really enjoyable if you're watching it at home, but if you're actually in the community that's being awarded it's a bummer but a drunk man ran up on the stage (laughs) and said like give it up for the montage guys montage guys like pointing at himself (laughs) then he leaned out of the audience like come on everyone from the montage just come up here come on and like nobody moved nobody moved like two (laughs) 
really to, to Chris Hardwick's credit, when the guy was like, "More montage guys, okay, montage guy every day, get up here," and he like put him in front of the mic, and then all he did was like, "More, get some montage guys up here," and then like That's someone good. backstage was clearly doing their job because a woman came out and handed him a dice award. Oh man, wow! And then he left, and then the moment he stepped off stage, security escorted him around to the back. But apparently, it was just to the bar because he was just seen drinking in the back of the awards for oh, the rest man. of the event. He was already just wow. lit yeah, up. I was really pleased that. A guy jumped up to drunkenly protest montages in award shows at an award show. <laughs> Wait, he was protesting them or he was... Yeah, he, he, he was like, pissed that he, yeah. he was a montage winner and he was pissed that he didn't get an actual oh, acceptance. Because he was like, come on, let's give it up for those montage guys. Like, like I, he, Okay, so my... I don't know. I realize how ridiculous this is. I thought now, but I... was like, woo, montages. I, I thought he was... He's like a montage booster? No, I thought the implication was that he was one of the video editors who... <laughs> Montage. It's like I made this montage. <laughs> no, montage no, crew. No. no, Dice 2013 montage crew, get up here! No, it's worse montage. because he is a, he was a Dice Award nominee. He was a developer. Oh, no. out to Vegas oh, that's way more and, depressing. And went to the award yeah. show and then saw his his win come up in a montage. Yeah. And I was like, what? And then he it was drunk enough that he ran up on stage. He's like, I want to talk. And Hardwick was like, come up and come talk. Up, talk. <laughs> this is what we're talking. doing now. I think that, that probably played way more awkwardly at home. But at the show, it was really, yeah, really you entertaining. You happened to watch it on the internet. It was, see, yeah, it was. God, I was really pleased about Montage Guy who fights for the Montage winners. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because he good. is one. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. That was the notable Dice Awards event for sure. That's pretty notable. <laughs> yeah, that guy's dead now. That's too bad. Yeah. What was his game? Do you know? Skylanders. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah was he was he from Toys R Bob or Activision? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. He was waving frantically out to the audience to try and get everyone else to show up. <laughs> but their table was right behind our table. Uh-huh. And there was uh, one Walking Dead award that was in a montage. So it kind of felt like we were all like solidarity. We're like, solidarity, we're like <laughs> we're yeah, no. Good, good. Just kind of everybody giving him a weak yeah. thumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. Yeah, but I played. Uh, have you seen or played the iOS game? Oh, oh yeah. on plane ride back. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> on plane ride there, we almost died. That's too horrifying. Horrifying. We didn't almost die, but it freaks you. Just say that anytime you go on a plane. This one was, but Jake was there. It did the it did the the turbulence that is replicated in movies when scary yeah. turbulence happens, mm-hmm. where you're looking out the window, then the whole plane just goes like takes a huge lurch. A you, just, you feel all momentum is gone, and then the window just shows the ground, and then it writes back up almost immediately, and your right. stomach is still yeah. like three feet if away. If we stayed level, it's fine. It's the fact that we went so many degrees right in a sure. tumble yeah. down into the left. Yeah. Yeah, where you Not just a feel like a roller coaster for a second, but you're in an airplane. Yeah. Uh, we can't even talk about it. I'm going to have a fit. It freaked me out. I'm usually not freaked out by flying. That was the true thrill of the Dice Awards. Yeah, but on the flight back, I played uh, The Room. Have you seen this game? I've I've heard. I know of it. I don't know what it is. Not to be confused with the Tommy Wiseau movie with the same name. No, yeah, just not to like be confused with the game adaptation it. of the Tommy Wiseau film with the same game, which is actually a hilarious game. Oh, yeah, that is a really funny game. <laughs> but uh, it's really great. Um, it's a really like high fidelity iPad. I guess it's an iPhone game too. It's on Steam as well. That's where I saw an ad for it. Oh, it's on Steam. Yeah, that's how that's how I know of it. I just oh I was wow, browsing I know through that. like new Steam games and I saw. You it. should check it out. I think you would like it. Um, it does the things that we like about games really well, which is scale. <laughs> you play them? Well, oh, like scale. scale. Yeah, yeah. The scale of the game oh, is really oh. really magnificent. Um, <laughs> also, do you notice how like do you guys shop on the App Store at all? Do you guys ever buy stuff on the App Store? I no, occasionally really. buy something on the App Store. Descriptions on the App Store of like what is this? What is game? What why oh, is they're this? Really bad. They're so bad. They're I had terrible. no yeah. idea. No, I, I 
Yeah. So they don't want you to know what the game is. They just want you to get excited about pressing the buy button. It just said like high detail. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the it's like you got a retina display. Look at these sweet spec maps. Yeah, but the room it's it's sort of like if you were playing Amnesia or any of the or like even Miasmata or like that sort of world of game where like somebody's made a maddening, but you know, but it's, somebody's but it's, made a maddening but discovery. It's missed, yeah, right? but it's, well, yeah. no, it's everything moves. Right, but I mean, it's it's that style. Right, uh, it's that style of puzzles. It yeah. very much. I thought you meant like PowerPoint. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's all just hypercut. It's it was authored using the hyper like you're doing an uppercut in a fucking old <laughs> school high fighter game. <laughs> each of the each of those uh, animation frames has just like a dissolve fade in between yep. each one of them. <laughs> backwards sprite flipping guy in the background is just going ape shit um, but i mean in the the room is like it's a very richly detailed just beautifully lit right. 3d world where for some reason people have just gone ape shit on making unsolvable uh like world manipulation and logic puzzles hmm. basically there's a giant box with like it looks like a safe and then as you kind of like remove things from it there's like new puzzles inside that i mean it felt a lot of the, like the little things felt very similar to the room escape game that we did but the level of oh, this sort spoiled. of... That we spoiled, excuse me. The, the level of item manipulation and just sort of moving a tiny switch that you know is moving gears to press yeah, a yeah, button yeah. on the other side of this box. It's been box. a long time since I played a game like that. Other you than really like, like it. I you think. know, Machinima and... Or, no, what's it called? Machinarium? Yeah, Machinarium. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of like that, but it's different when that's, it's in 3D and you feel it. Right. Yeah. Well, and you're also just in one room the entire time oh, of this game. Oh, okay, Yeah, that's yeah. the point I was trying oh, to make. Oh, is you are actually just... You never leave the room in this one object you're trying to solve. Oh, crazy. Okay, yeah. And... The tutorialization is really good. Mm-hmm. It uses like, I don't think it uses the mic, but it uses like all aspects of the pad. Some that you discover on accident. Like I just kind of realized that at one point tilt worked, but it's because I was really, really stuck. Mm-hmm. I think I was like, I wonder how they adapt that stuff to the PC. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. It's really on steam. Uh, that's like where I saw it. So, okay. I mean, I can check right now. No, it's probably there. Yeah. yeah. Buy it on steam. Thanks for listening to Alphonse this week, everyone. <laughs> That's really the only game I played. So, without, oh, I thought you said you played like, that, all the video games. You that really was it. Played all the video yeah, games. you know, without further questions, that's kind oh. of where I'm at <laughs> with oh. content this week. So, I played a game that is also available both on Steam and on an iDevice. Uh, it is, um, that's the new rule, by the way, for that's what <laughs> games we talk about. There has to be a mobile version. Um, well... Are you enjoying the room? Are you going to be playing more yeah, it's of it? Absolutely wonderful. Do you hate I'm it? I'm a little stuck, but I'm pretty far in, I guess. But I've been playing it for a few hours now, and it's really good. It's just the types of puzzles that you solve, and the and the it's got that same sort of flow that the actual Room Escape game has, which is I'm poking and prodding at all these things, trying to make sense of them, and then when one domino goes like three or four more go, and it's like oh, and then this goes to this, and then this goes to this, and then I have to turn this. Yeah. That's going to turn that. <sighs> And is it, is it's it, really nice. Is the whole is the context for the whole thing fully abstract or no? There is a sort of that's kind of what I was saying about amnesia, where there's sort of like you're finding notes of a narrator yeah, who's yeah. like, "I discovered this thing in the basement," sort of thing. Mm. It's, it yeah. starts off abstract. I mean, you start in, you start the room with absolutely no context no, for why you're there. Right. The guy's like, "Hello, friend. If you can solve all these puzzles, you'll get to right, the mystery." But I mean, you as the whatever. oh yeah, of who you are and why you're there. Yeah, the no same idea. reason. I mean, in that regard, it also really reminds me of Mist. But that's I guess probably because that's. Mm-hmm. Or I guess a text adventure. <laughs> Never mind. It's funny, like, because big games, games don't really do that anymore. 
like modern big budget games, you are they just sort of say hi, a fellow traveler, and then you're just you're right. just you're a guy in front of a box. Oh, like yeah. you are you, like missed online Uru. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe they called that game Uru because it stood for you are you. Wait, what? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Or I'm crazy, but I'm nearly positive that's the case. Someone will write me saying, uh, clearly it's because of something in Denis lore that you're not familiar with. <laughs> Denis. Nice. Best is that in the... God, D apostrophe and I only showed up in Riven. We've talked about this before. In the resource files for, for original Mist, it's spelled D-U-N-N-Y, which is way more hilarious to me. <laughs> Uh, the Dunnies. Uh, oh, God, that lore sounds really lame and not lore-like. How about if it's D apostrophe and I? How about if it's the Denis? Oh, sick. <laughs> so sick. Yeah, Uru. Anyway, sorry. But games don't do that. Like, it's really rare. Like, even, you know. Well, what's funny is that even games that traditionally would do things like, I mean, it's a totally different kind of game. Like an Elder Scrolls game or something, you know, where you, you kind of just start off like in a dungeon cell or something or whatever. Like, now those games have these big-ass introductions and they stuff. contextualize right. the shit out of your guy at the yeah. beginning yeah. yeah you're not allowed to just be a dude yeah but i mean every game does that even like the legend of zelda you just named your guy and it was a guy and now it's like yeah. you're a very specific man yeah well i mean that's part of what i liked about miyazmata i guess oh yeah no me too and amnesia in that same yeah, yeah, vein me too yeah. no, I, no i guess amnesia you that you are that guy sorry you know what's interesting so one of the things that's weird about that's hard about having a game that doesn't front load all that stuff is that I'm going to tie this into the book cast. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, that's fine. Uh, well, it's about the book. We are already in the process of reading. So oh, I haven't read that weird. one yet. So I won't say too much about it, but um, one of the things that's tough about not front loading your game with a bunch of explanatory stuff is that you're playing the role of a character who theoretically has skills of some kind and like, understanding of how things in this world might work but you as the player don't at all which is kind of weird right like Mm -hmm. is like that and there are parts of that that are just you just can't bridge those gaps like you have to just have a bunch of explanation of at least how things work in a purely mechanical way just pop out tutorial almost from the world yeah hey this is the sorts of things you'd have you're gonna give it to you as quickly as possible yeah yeah Yeah. yeah, exactly um uh and it's it's hard to do that um but there is something really nice about when a game, you know, not just the amnesiac device is pretty goddamn tired at this point, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I feel like at this point I'd rather have the clunkiness of not of you know that tension between what the character knows and the player knows. I'd rather have that tension than either just fall back on okay, you're yet another amnesiac who doesn't know who you are, or where you're from, or whatever, or be like, let me give you thirty minutes of cutscenes and bullshit before you can even start, right? Like, I feel like, mm-hmm. fine, just whatever. L- there's going to be some tension because there always is in a game because there's always going to be a gap between the player and the character. You can't erase it fully, so whatever, fuck it. Um, but the book that we're reading for the Adult Book Club this month called By Blood by Ellen Ullman mm-hmm. is really interesting because it starts in a place... It's a first-person narrative. right? Um, uh, and so, you know, it's told explicitly from the perspective of the central character. And he is, he has, there's very specific language that kind of paints this like surface level picture of his personality, but you don't know anything about his background or like his motivations right. or anything. He doesn't sit down and go, this is what I look like. This right. Is, yeah. And what's interesting about that is the tiny, tiny drops of information 
that Omen starts to seed in about this guy are so fucking surprising. Like, yeah. you don't see them coming at all. I'm early. I'm like page 50, maybe. Yeah, so you probably haven't yeah. started getting wind of this stuff yet. No. I, this book became a totally different thing than what I thought it was when I started. Because, like, so if, you, if you've reached, if you're on page 50, then you definitely already know what I'm talking about with, like, the affected language and, like, the, you know, like, the guy is very... Oh, yeah, it sounds yeah, like yeah, he's yeah. from the Victorian era or something. Right, like, right, it's right. It's weird. Right. Um, yeah. But it's in, set in 1975, San Francisco or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, he's stuffy. He's very stuffy. Yeah. yeah. But like the stuff that's the, – the clues that come out about his character are crazy. And that's a thing that uh, I think would be cool for more games to bite off, which would be to have a character that – doesn't have amnesia. Like the character knows everything there is to know about himself, even if the player doesn't. And you're not just learning other things about the world as you go. You're learning surprising and potentially disturbing and worrisome things about your own character. Um, there are probably games that have done that that I just I'm not thinking of the top of my head, but it seems like an underused device. I think it's very difficult to pull off in a way that actually works. I'm sure and I'm doesn't sure work. Be. And doesn't. I mean, I don't think. We succeeded to any degree, but we tried to at least dip a toe in the water with The Walking Dead with that, where especially in the first episode of it, Lee knows things that you don't about himself. He has opinions that you don't necessarily have, and it usually ends up just reading, unfortunately, at least our attempts that it ended up reading as weird or like, why is he saying that? Or why can't I say what I want to say? Or like, the writer's fucked up because he shouldn't know that yet. Like, that's like... Part of that, though, surely... In, in your specific case is because you're giving the player agency in terms of theoretically what Lee's opinions and stuff are. Like when I played your, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, in fact, but um, when I played The Walking Dead, especially in the first episode, the way I was interpreting it was, oh, whichever thing I choose to say is the actual thing that Lee like believes or says, which, right, right. which I, I understand now is not the case, but like that's how I read it. But if I never had any choice about the ma- in the matter – then I don't think I would have. But isn't that like, I mean, the the hardest break in the other direction is like Braid, right? Where you're anonymous platforming guy and then you learn all these crazy specifics about this well, guy's life. I thought that stuff was awesome in Braid though. Like I think there were, I think there were like some real weak points in Braid's writing. But like that stuff just from an emotional standpoint or like a thematic standpoint I thought was like some of the most successful stuff about that game. You know, Steve's game mm-hmm. does some of this oh, stuff. Yeah, you're right, it does. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to share too much. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The break yeah. in Braid felt really, really hard to me in a way that never quite sat with me as well as I would like. But mm. I, I liked that stuff in that game a lot. Just I was a dude doing video game things, and then it told me on a screen of text on the next screen who my guy was. But oh, really? I guess I'm not thinking of that. I'm thinking of I guess I'm not thinking of the textual part specifically as much as I am like just the the I guess more ambiguous stuff suggested by the. The whole sequence at the end. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess that's, that's one yeah, yeah, that's fair. No, okay, good braid. Maybe we should could rewind time <laughs> or speed it up. Oh yeah, I hear you can do that in braid. Oh yeah, I can braid. <laughs> anyway, uh, I uh, speaking of rewinding time, I guess <sighs> you were going to mention a game you were playing. Oh, I was wondering. Um, do you ever wish <laughs> we could rewind time? Yeah. Sometimes I do. Sometimes like that game, Braid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can mm. do that, Braid. Mm. Anyway, never mind. Whatever I was going to say, forget it. Uh, I played another game. I played this iPad game called The Room. Oh, is that like the Tommy Wiseau film? No, it's not at all like that. Nor the video game adaptation of the uh, film. Yeah. It was a good game. It was strong. It was kind of hilarious. It was yeah. a really yeah, kind of high strange. Maybe we should rewind time. 
you know, sometimes speed it up. Wish I could we're joined by Nick Brecken. <laughs> As always. We're joined by baby Nick Brecken. <laughs> or babies. No, no. Nick Brecken is just the baby. This, if somehow we were preserved and there was just a full Nick Brecken, but baby. A full Nick Brecken, but baby? What's a half Nick Brecken, but baby? Vile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, all of Nick. I don't know what the alternative to that. I genuinely don't know what the other version of that is. Yeah, I mean, neither like, do I, but I'm here now. <laughs> just like Nick's face is a baby's face. Yeah, like if Nick's, like, I mean, his whole body is baby. <laughs> but his head is like but a man's head. head. Like well, it's important to say man. that it's not just like big head mode on like Nick's full head on a baby's body. But like the whole, he has been rewound. Does he talk like Nick Brecken Like Benjamin does, Button. does he just sound like a baby? <laughs> That's a very good question. Probably, or is there even a difference? Am I right? I think that's true. He's, he sounded like that his entire life. Yeah. What? He sounded like Nick Brecken. Remember I'm Nick Brecken. Remember that like time him? when <laughs> those were his first words? <laughs> those were his first words. I'm Nick Brecken. He was oh, very cocky. He was guess very we're prescient. Him Nick Brecken. <laughs> He's the first baby to name himself. <laughs> yeah. Good conversation. It cuts to the nurse in the hospital writing first, middle, last name. I'm Nick Brecken. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, he was in high school for a bit. You were in that, I think. What? Oh, high school calling me college baby. Oh, baby's first words. Oh, are you in college baby? What are we talking about? High school baby came first. Yeah. Then yeah. High school baby was the original featuring Nick Brecken. Right. Where Steve played Jagged Alliance. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was probably cool. <laughs> Jesus, this we is have first. rewound time, man. <laughs> I wish you could rewind time to before we had that conversation. So I heard you played a video game, Chris. Yeah, I did. Um, so I played uh, Super Mario Three. <laughs> I played Might and Might and Magic Clash of. Oh, is this Heroes? the Capybara game? It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you play? It? You played it on Steam because I saw you mm-hmm. playing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Because I was yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. I don't feel very well. You caught me. Uh, yeah, I've actually played like eight hours of this over the last several days. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really fun. You're compelled. Although it is one of the most extreme examples I've played recently of just an unimaginable gulf in enjoyment for me between the actual game in this game and everything else. Like, I mean, it, it's... Right. It's Theme just, and mechanic. Yeah. The th- yeah. There's like, a pretty... Just, Every three seconds, there's like big, huge character, you know, images popping up to talk about some stupid conflict or something. And like just I mean, it just goes on forever. And it's I mean, it's I all the best to the guys at Cappy because they're rad and they've made like several games that I really like a lot. But oh, my God, I just find it unbearable, (laughs) except for the video game part, which is great. Yeah. Right, like the actual game is really, really good. I kind of felt that way about Critter Crunch too. Where I was like, Ugh. which I mean, other things did Cappy make? Because I know Critter, them. Critter Crunch is a thing they did. That's okay, really cool. Um, and they're working on that game, Super Time Force, which is awesome. God, have you played Super Time Force? Yeah, they brought it to our office a couple months ago. I've, the it's trailer rad. for Super Time Force made me want to play Super Time Force really bad. Yeah, and but, I think they like co-developed the Super Brothers game. The yeah, their and names Sorcery. on the Super Brothers game. Yeah, 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 yeah on Sword yeah, and Sorcery. Yeah. So they've done a bunch of cool stuff. So, have you played? This is it's a Might and Magic game. Yeah, it was weird. Like they I have you played other Might and Magic games? Oh yeah, because I, grew I, up, I, grew I up didn't playing, play those at all oh, growing okay, up. Okay, I grew up. Well, I didn't grow up playing the core Might and Magic series. I grew up playing um, Heroes of Might and Magic, which was the like turn-based strategy. Right, Heroes of Might and Magic are the only ones that I ever 
Oh yeah, those are the ones. Of, I, those are the ones I. I didn't. I didn't play them. They're the ones that I've oh, seen awesome. talked about. They're oh, yeah. great. Like if I, I don't imagine you guys would play these games, but like the recent Kings um, Kings Bounty series, mm-hmm. it uh, was so the like Heroes of Might and Magic was kind of successor to this really old game, um, Kings Bounty, and now there's in the last few years there's been this new series by a Russian developer, I think. Wait, so there's Might and Magic and Kings Bounty, and then Heroes of so, Might and Magic. Okay, so it's weird. So Kings Bounty was. Originally by this company, New World Computing, as I recall, by the, founded by this guy, John Carnegie. New World Computing is the company that has the spinning earth with the sword yeah, through it? Yeah, they did, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, best, makes, the best yeah, of all CG a, logos? Great logo, okay. yeah. And <laughs> then there was Might and Magic by New World Computing, and that was an, like a Western RPG series, you know, kind of yeah. like Wizardry or Ultima or whatever, but I don't think it ever made it as big. Right. But it lasted a whole bunch of entries. And then they spun off the this other series, Heroes of Might and Magic, set, I guess, in the same world. Um, but with gameplay in the style of, of King's Bounty, uh, and that was, this was all still New World Computing, and then New World Computing eventually went out of business, and I think John Van Carnegie, the guy who had that, founded that company, went on to found Tryon Worlds, or like become part of it, weirdly. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Ubisoft bought Heroes of Might and Magic in like the mid-2000s, maybe, and right. they've been making those games since then. Okay. Um, but I, the, new Kings, the new King's Bounty games feel to me like the more, like the I don't know. They feel like the version of of the old Heroes of Might and Magic games that I like more. So mm-hmm. I've I played I've played like literally dozens and dozens, possibly hundreds of hours of King's Bounty and King's Bounty Armored Princess. Uh, Sweet, they're fucking good. Those are good games. I forget if I ever talked about those on Idle Thumbs or if they they might have fallen. They might have fallen in the thumb hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, those games are good. And the the other thing that is cool about them that I really appreciate compared to. Um, uh, uh, Might Magic Clash of Heroes, which I like for different reasons, I'll explain in a minute. But the New King's Bounty games have the most insane narrative, like just the most bonkers shit. Like it's, they seem like super conventional, just fantasy stuff with like, you know, uh, knights on horses and wizards and stuff and like whatever, dwarves and this and that. Which is just whatever, but uh, but the, just the most, <laughs> dwarves and this and that, like you know, just that kind of thing. And it, but one, they look beautiful, like they they're incredibly gorgeous. There's a really nice, very restrained art style to it. But also, the things that happen in these games are crazy uh, because they're little things you'll find. Like you'll, there's all these systems that are modular in potentially hilarious ways. Like there's a spouse system, so you can get married and like your spouse is actually like (laughs) when you acquire a spouse they become like equipped in your inventory uh but you can end up with like a zombie wife like that just because of the mechanics of the game (laughs) what the you have like are you talking about (laughs) spouse slot in your inventory like it's just weird shit like that that is that they have made because they didn't have to vet like every single one of these like things as part of one canonical it doesn't story have line. like narrative fidelity to yeah require. But it's what makes yeah. it good because just yeah. crazy shit happens and like you can go inside your weapons to fight them i know multiple games have done this kind of thing um but the the story has just enough give around the edges of the potential things that that happen that make it just a surreal weird experience without being overly precious or like the kind of current currently stylish like <laughs> funny because it's just the most insane crazy right. like saints row bullshit ever like it's just there's just a weird oddness fuzziness around the narrative edge that feels a little more honest and 
naive in a way, but also just kind of funny and crazy. Well, it just sounds like the sort of thing that you would expect on like an Apple II, like floppy disk based game where it's just like, whatever. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, can yeah. happen, so it happens. Yeah, Who yeah, cares? Yeah. Or just, like a really old Ultima game or something. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, so those the, the King's Bounty games are really cool. I think there might be a new one coming out soon. I forget. But anyway, so then I don't know why I went on that big tangent because um, Might and Magic Clash of Heroes doesn't really play anything like those games except that you're still marching a hero around an overworld and then getting into So Might and Magic Clash of Heroes is – sorry, just to – It is Ubisoft published. But it's by Cappy. It's by Cappy. I think what happened was they had their own concept for this like kind of puzzle RPG game thing. And then Ubisoft agreed to publish it if it became part of the Might and Magic series. So they like retrofitted Might and Magic continuity into it or something. Weird. Yeah, it's weird. But I'm it's not, not, I'm not 100% sure about that. It's like classic Might and Magic, not Heroes of Might and Magic. I don't Ostensibly, think it matters. or it's just its I own mean, I think thing. The continu- I think Ubisoft has like rebooted that in the entire Might and Magic series continuity to be one that I don't I really don't know I haven't paid any attention to it in the last several years but all the the artwork itself doesn't look like like Might and Magic has generally looked like sort of traditional western fantasy stuff whereas this looks like kind of anime influenced stuff anyway whatever it doesn't it's not a true reboot until they put out two separate things one of which is just called Might and the other one is called (laughs) Magic yeah yeah. Is that like Pokemon Red and Blue style? Yeah, probably. Yeah. They, they've talked to each other in some way or another. Yeah. To get around copyright, they have to call it and magic. Otherwise, it'd be like Magic the Gathering. Oh. So it's might, and then you can buy and magic. That's going to be the title. That's horrible. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I still haven't said what this actual game is. So the yeah. actual thing you do in this game, this is the actual part that is really cool. Have you ever wished um, <laughs> uh, to back time? Uh, oh, like in that game Braid? Hmm. Um, so it's a match. It's kind of like a match three game. Uh, you lost me on this. Now. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long prelude to say it's like a match three well, game. So the, it's like Bejeweled Diamond Mine. The reason I <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because I want to immediately contrast it to Puzzle Quest, okay. which is the other like kind of puzzle RPG big right. hybrid that everyone liked or loves to use. Right. The thing that I didn't really like Puzzle Quest, even though I know a billion people did. Because it felt like just a straight up, completely normal match three game that also just had a bunch of RPG stuff. Yeah, the on theme it, could have been which I just whatever. Didn't, like, yeah. it wasn't just the theme though. I just didn't really care about all the RPG mechanics very much. Right. Um, whereas Clash of Heroes actually feels like a genuinely new mechanic, or at least one that is distinct enough that it feels totally justified in being its own game. And so what you do is you have a you you have in your like army. You know, up to three different Gems. basic ty- <laughs> basic types of units, and then I don't know, two or three different or four maybe like special types, and the game will just randomly put a bunch of them on the field, and if you line them up in a vertical row of three or theoretically more, uh, then they start like preparing for an attack, and there will be a little counter on them, and it might be three, and that means three turns from now. Like, they will actually launch their attack against the enemy forces. And, like, if you can attack straight through your enemy's battlefield, it'll hit your enemy's, like, big HP meat shield in the back. And that's what you're trying to to wear down. Or if there's enemies in the way, then you take out those enemies. And then hopefully after that, with another attack, you can get through and hit his actual um, thing. This guy. Guy. And so, and then if you match them up horizontally, they form a wall that moves to the front of your line, your, you know, to your front line and then prevents enemy attacks. Uh, but it, 
because you're doing this against this live opponent and because it's turn-based, which is the thing I really like about it, um, it doesn't feel like you're just madly playing a match three game. It feels like you're actually thinking always several turns ahead and planning your moves really, really carefully. Um, it's a, it, To me, I think it's a really, really, really clever, really well-designed, uh, um, you know, mixture of two super different kinds of gameplay, which are a puzzle game and tactical turn-based uh, like RPG strategy thing. Um, I think it, it works remarkably well. I'm re- I like the mechanic so much. I mean, it's, you know, the, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't have played it for seven or eight hours or whatever it is. I'm going to play it probably when I get home today. Like, it's it's really, really good. And there's, uh, there's a bunch of RPG stuff in there, too. You know, like, if your units uh, win a battle, like, that particular unit will level up. Um, you can find new uh, items to equip on your... You can have one item equipped in your herd at any time. And even that stuff, I think, is really smartly managed. Like, you only have one item on your hero, and it does a very straightforward thing. It's, like, plus 25 hit points, or your walls regenerate after they've been destroyed. Or like, I mean, they're, they're big, Im- like elemental, important things. You're not managing like eight different minor little menial upgrades, right. which I don't mind in a game where that is what the actual game is. But since the focus of this game right, and this was just is this puzzle thing. How, how it's going to be augmented. And exactly, yeah. yeah. Like the, the, the degree to which they've implemented these additional RPG elements, I think is is smartly minimal. And I think they 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 augment the the gameplay nicely rather than being overbearing. And I just think they the whole game system I think is incredibly well designed. I like it a lot. It's really, really cool. Yeah, I saw it on iOS, but I didn't buy it. Yeah, that's that's actually it's a funny thing. That's actually why I picked it up. Not because I bought it on iOS, but because I just there were people around the office who were like, Oh, I saw this thing on iOS and I'm like, Oh yeah, I heard about that game a while ago. I wonder if that's on Steam and it mm-hmm. was, so I just I grabbed it. But it was, you know, because of the new discussion that, right, right, that right. happened when yeah. it hit the new platform. That's what caused me to buy it. And I'm really glad I did. It's really, really cool. Do you guys want to take a break? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wish baby Nick Brecken was here. Just to <laughs> soothe my sickness. I could, wish I could just drink his blood and make myself feel better. <laughs> on the forums want me to finish Little Inferno but I can't until I'm reunited with my wife because it's like our, we're playing it together yeah, it's your game so we're going to do a sponsorship call out this episode is brought to you by a bunch of people on the internet thanks to the readers for listening to this episode of Idle Thumbs we're going to read your mail now we're not going to answer any of it we're just going to read it <laughs> we're paid to read after it after all this episode's all about you not us do you ever wish you could rewind time <laughs> <laughs> alright Lexicon Postal what Wait, Lexicon Pestel. That's an incredible name. That, that sounds can't be the yeah. Lexicon name. Postal would have been a crying of forty nine character. That's true. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's true. We didn't talk about this on the book podcast. This is not. Are we, are we back? We are back. But go ahead. I think no. It's way too much of a point, <laughs> and it's about a book that nobody on this podcast who's listening <laughs> to this podcast has read. All right. Ouch. Burn. Well, I mean, some people. <laughs> Sarah Argadale, this is for you. <laughs> like, what do you want me to say here? All right. So you want to read her mail? Jesus Christ. This is. Can we start over, please? <laughs> you ever wish you could rewind time? <laughs> All right. Dear idle people, says Lexicon Pestel. 
I was wondering, is emergent atrocity simulation baby walling or just horrible? I was reminded of an above ground fortress I'd built in Dwarf Fortress, where I created a moat from the raging river that passed through my territory. Some elephants had fallen into the river and were stuck at the end where the moat met the sea. The elephants were stuck in perpetual rage, half drowning and feebly trying to escape. I can only assume they breathed that they breathed by standing on top of the corpses of the elephants that fell in first. Anything that fell into the moat, be it goblin, dwarf, or baby, would be swept into the elephants and promptly be trampled to death. Wow. Dwarf Fortress is a crazy thing. Yes. Yes. So is that baby walling or, or not, Sean? What's the verdict? I don't think that is... Uh, that sounds not... I think if that, that machine... Yeah, it's a, there's issues of intent. If that yeah, machine, yeah, yeah. if that had been built... With the, well, yeah, with the yeah. with the plan to yes. sweep the elephants to mm-hmm. the end, so that it would it would become an elephant trampling I think machine. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So instead, no, not baby walling. Just, but a wonderful um, video game experience is what that is. Yes. Nancy Pelosi. Are agrees. all video games baby walling? <laughs> oh yeah. Things, oh yeah. man. Yeah. My question was important. Wait. Are what? all video, what? are all video games baby walling? No. What do you mean? Baby walling us, you mean? Walling are we us. the babies? Oh. <laughs> are we the, the walls babies? are reality. The reality B, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> reality. All right. Uh, Joe Berman writes. God, I thought you were going to say Joe Biden. Joe Biden writes. Dear Thumbs, J. So, Dear Thumbs, J. Joe Biden writes. Kid logic. Sorry, that's the subject of Biden's email. Do it. It is, yeah. Um, I was provoked into sending you an email after listening to your discussion about the girl who'd never seen a white person before. Related to this, I wanted to describe a thought that came to me when playing the cave. I have an eight-year-old daughter whom I play games with on a regular basis. What I find is that her frame of reference is so far removed from mine that it makes no sense to my adult brain. Kids can ask a fundamental question like, what is a shadow made of? Which as a parent makes you really challenge your own understanding of the world. I feel it is the same naivete that makes kids so creative, especially in their thought process. The reason I struggle with adventure games is because often my adult brain, full of wisdom and worldly experience, fails to make a connection between the rubber chicken and the pulley, two objects so distinctly unrelated that they should never cross paths in the real world. Kid logic, however, forms links between these discrete concepts, freeing their mind to a world of possibilities and creative solutions. Is it the reason I always keep? It is the reason I always keep my daughter by my side during tricky puzzle-solving games. And I wonder if this is something that influences game design. Yours sincerely, Joe Berman. P.S. Thanks for making out of thumbs. It kept me entertained uh, when I during a fifteen-hour drive when I moved to Sweden two years ago. Cool. Only takes um, fifteen hours to drive to Sweden <laughs> from he, from here. <laughs> Clearly, that's what he meant. I don't yeah. think there's other from places. The out of thumbs recording studio. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that that is kid logic, by the way, right there. Yeah. Like, oh wow, Sweden's only fifteen hours away from yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Anyway, I, I listened to that. Um, I listened to that. Uh, <laughs> oh, this American Life. It was very good. Yeah. The girl who's like goes to school and her friends like, my dad. I, I know who the tooth fairy is. Oh, that was incredible. Yeah. She's like, what? Like, yeah, I caught the tooth fairy stealing my teeth and leaving me money. Oh my god, who's the tooth fairy? It's my dad. Well, the and then she's like, then she goes to her mom and goes, yeah. Mom, I know who the tooth fairy is. She goes, oh, God, who? He goes, it's Jessica's dad. <laughs> <laughs> the, fact, the fact that she didn't go to, like, oh, it's, it's everyone's dad. dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Dad. And the fact that her mom then played along with it. It's like, oh, whatever. yeah. It's got that secret Jessica's job. Jessica's dad works really hard at this. Don't tell. You can't tell anybody. Yeah, it's no. a secret. God. That, that kid's gender perceptions were forever improved. <laughs> also. That's, that's correct. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I like this email. I thought that was nice. Like, there, I mean, I, I don't know if that is, if that's good or bad yeah, I think with respect sort of, to game design. Because it's, it's sort of bad game design. Yeah, no, it kind of like, is. And right? I think Ron and Tim and Dave, well, at least Dave, like, cop to that just being really bad game design now. Mm-hmm. When you talk to them about Well, Ron, Ron does as well. You yeah, talk when I talk to Dave about yeah. Monkey, like, it's kind of nice being in a design meeting with him, though. Because yeah. I just be like, eh, it's not a Monkey Wrench puzzle, is it? 
you know, like right. instantly yeah, yeah, just yeah, make yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the instantly go-to. just shame his past decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes home and cries. Well, what's Staps funny, what's funny about that is that when you don't, when you, um, I mean, you guys have more experience designing adventure games than I do, obviously. But like, it, um, in my limited experience, it seems like when you're when you strictly when you try, at least, I think it's really hard to design an adventure game that's always going to be intuitive. But like the more intuitive and logical an adventure game puzzle gets kind of the easier it is in like rough terms. Right. Um, which I think a lot of adventure game fans end up finding kind of objectionable because you can kind of think, Oh, well it makes sense that you're combining these two things because logically like they would in fact combine in a way that makes some, some degree of intuitive sense. Um, but if you can just do that throughout the entire game, then you have a really easy game. It's weird that a lot of the sort of challenge of older adventure games often came from being totally unintuitive and nonsensical in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, I kind of found, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a very good adventure game designer, but like the couple times that I've had to do it, I find that keeping, like, I just can't go to the pulley with a rubber chicken in the middle place. No, like, no. I yeah. I just, my brain doesn't work yeah. that way. So I find... I don't, I don't mean to say that's desirable. But, yeah, yeah, I hear yeah. you, but... So I find complexity in maintaining what I think is just sort of, oh, yeah, these are the natural sorts of behaviors and natural things that people would expect to do with these objects or in mm-hmm. this type of place and just increasing the amount of steps it takes to get to that place. It sounds like really like very yeah. plain, but it's like, oh, if I need to get this guy drunk, make it like a six move thing where you got to like get the thing to bribe the guy to bribe the guy to do the thing to get the mouse to put mm-hmm. it in the thing to do yeah, whatever. Yeah. Mouse is important, obviously, <laughs> but um, you know, I always find that to be like stronger adventure, and I and I enjoy that more. Like I, we talked about the room before the break, and like that game is just nothing. It's just one giant puzzle, right? That's maybe a hundred steps, right? And that level of just sort of the flow of that, these sort of like mini breakthroughs that happen in rapid succession, but then just quiet, is really pleasurable. I think it's a really games aren't really made like that anymore for me if the nonsensical like it's it's weird i like i haven't actually worked i at tell that we've made a billion adventure games but it's also been a while since i worked on a traditional one but the stuff that i always like is the stuff that has that sense of weirdness at first but then it makes sense within itself but even that's before the puzzle is before like the the specific insanity of the puzzles there like a thing that i put and by put, I mean talked people into putting at the time into one of the Homestar Runner games was a character who had a like spinning uh, like Wheel of Fortune wheel. But then because of the story, the other game that she was running in the same space required her to just literally turn the wheel, like to flip the wall around that the wheel was connected to. And then there were uh, like it was being used to present other things for like a, like, it was, like a potted plant and something else or something. Uh and you were wondering why the wheel was always getting stuck, but then if you went around to the other side, you saw that there were objects on the on the flip side of it. God, this is entirely impossible to explain. <laughs> oh, it's an adventure game puzzle. A, a game wheel <laughs> was being weighted by way of two completely unrelated objects, but like this man's daughter would have solved this puzzle in about twenty seconds. I'm fine <laughs> with that. Like, I like things that that seem odd at first, but then actually are mechanically or internally consistent before you have to solve them. I had a really hard time with that in the Strong Bad games because I played the Strong Bad games. Before a lot of the Strong Bad games were just fucking weird. Yeah, but the sort of like internally consistent machinations of a really weird abstract cartoon object 
difficult for me mm. <laughs> i'm like there's no way that thing works like a real thing because this is a place where that guy's a mask with feet right. you know like, yeah, that's fair yeah so that stuff was always really challenging for me with the thematic with with the theme of strong bad yeah yeah it's just it's always like, it was always easier for me with monkey island because i yeah. felt like it's it's always important to me i guess that whatever it is actually works and isn't just like it's just imbued with this stupid thing like i actually like some of the stuff that like joe did in episode two of waltz and gromit and stuff like that well like Rubber pull, rubber chicken and pulley is insane because that doesn't actually. It's like one object, the, isn't it? Oh, right, that is just a rubber it's chicken, a rubber with chicken a pulley in the middle. Whatever, it's even yeah. fucking weirder. Yeah, you're yeah. right. <laughs> anyway, I I remember liking that stuff in Seven Max Hit the Road. Like that was a game where all the bonkers shit that happened seemed. Seven Max Hit the Road, though the the entire premise of that game was you won't know what you're doing, and then Sam and Max will entertain you. That's true. Like, yeah. that, that game was the first scum game, the first LucasArts adventure game to not let you see what you're going to say, but just have an icon. So you're like, yeah. Sam and Max will surprise you with a joke about this, or like, this interaction will make them say something funny or do a weird fucking thing. Like, that yeah. whole game is predicated yeah. on you not knowing, which That's is cool. True. That stuff was really, yeah, that was really awesome. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we answered this guy's question. No. Okay, Anthony... Thanks for writing in, though. Thanks. Thanks for letting us talk about adventure also, games for no reason. Also, we're in the middle of this, in case we forget, questions at idlethumbs.net. Oh, yeah. That's where you can send things for us to read them and Anything. respond to them. You can send us a question about playing games with kids, and we'll yammer on about adventure games that we have played or made. That does this... God. Playing an adventure game or any game in the future with a little little Vanaman scrapper? Oh, man, that's kind of... That's going to be good. <laughs> we'll just... To that guy's point, being a kid and playing an adventure that guy, game. I first imagine that as little my little Vanaman. Oh no, sorry, Vice President Joe Biden. Um, that was the guy before. <laughs> oh, oh no, was that guy? Yeah, this is no, Joe kid Biden. logic. You're right. This is that Joe was Biden. Joe, Biden. Joe Biden's question. kids. I thought were all growing up. It's okay. They're still. They're, they'll always be his little kids. Right. His little boy. That's true. There is. Logic. There are a few little things girl. better than playing an adventure game with a little kid, though, as your Monkey Island uh, story from a few episodes back. Oh yeah, was revealed. The, the Bahamian kids. Yeah, that was that was really the best. Okay, so Anthony says, hi, Thumbs. I know you don't like long emails, so here's the short version. Why didn't you talk about the always online DRM for the new SimCity in episode 92? A lot of podcasts and media outlets don't seem to be talking about it, even though the first two questions in the Reddit I am uh, for the yeah. SimCity team dealt with it. It's obviously something a lot of people aren't happy with. Um, he goes on to say he skipped Diablo 3 for that reason last year and will plan to skip SimCity as well. Um, he points out that... Uh, he says he lives in an area with new housing development where every available internet carrier is heavily congested. The incumbent telecom provider has no interest in upgrading. He gets an average internet speed of 5K a second with packet loss. Uh, he basically can't download anything or watch YouTube videos. And then he also This says, guy lives the worst life. <laughs> that's really terrible. Oh, my God, move. He also says, well... <laughs> no, I know, but that's just really... Oh, that upsets me for him. He also says, what's even worse is the damage this will do long term. Eventually, the SimCity servers will be switched off. And even people who bought the game won't be able to play it. I don't think there's even a similar concept for this in cinema or books where existing media is rendered unusable en masse. If someone wanted to go back and look at the new SimCity historically, they just couldn't. It feels like putting short-term profit ahead of a legacy a game can leave. Keep uh, up the good work, guys. You make my alarm. Film was like this before VHS. Anthony, Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, before home video, film was totally like that. And film is becoming more and more like that as all of the way that things are consumed is streamed. Yeah, it's in the cloud. Uh, first, yeah, I mean... It actually, I, I, here's the thing. I don't think we talk, I know why I didn't talk about it. It's because, well, I didn't play the beta, but I know why I wouldn't bring it up just because it doesn't really impact my life that hard. Like, and I'm just being selfish. Like I'm not a journalist. I'm not, 
I used, I I used no to be someone for whom it, it didn't impact my life, but now I fly an hour and a half to three hours every few weeks. And SimCity, I oh, you want that on the, on like, the plane? I got a laptop, and uh, recently I got a nice MacBook, and then it was pointed out to me that I could play SimCity on it, and I went, "Holy crap! My flight time is now. I'm, I can't play it at all because there's always on DRM, <laughs> yeah. motherfucker." Spend seven dollars on Virgin or whatever. They have a Wi-Fi on. Nah, couple, yeah, yeah. But I wonder. Yeah, I mean that is kind of the bummer. Spend right? seven bucks to play SimCity? Lame. See, that's lame. Oh, it's just a microtransaction. This is seven dollars <laughs> yeah. offline mode. Oh, no. Like it feels like a lot of that online, like always online DRM is ahead of just sort of like a lot of pockets of American society. Like I can no, really empathize with that guy having bad internet. Like, no, it's true. That I mean, was like, me the, growing up. The way I can't at imagine this point like, that no. I watch television is exclusively through services like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Instant. Right. Like I don't, I can't. I don't buy any well i buy them but i buy them purely for you don't streaming. have hard like, goods we're just uh, exactly we're yeah. in a really really shitty place right now where engineers and tech companies dream of what the cloud is is about feels like 10 goddamn years ahead of yeah. what the actual performance of the cloud is of what people's ability to have always on internet is like no one yeah. no one still has 100 percent always on internet in their life cell service sucks people have shit internet it's not on airplanes well also like uh, but, your cell phones you but, have relatively at least in my case like I don't know. I have two gigs of data on my phone. So I moved to a new I, – I got at least a new apartment recently. And for the first week that I was there, I had no internet in my place. And it was super weird. I, I set up my computer just because I was unpacking and setting everything up. But it wasn't connected to anything. And I'm like, man, I just can't do any of the things that I do on this computer. Right. I couldn't even launch Steam because I forgot to put it in offline mode before it was – whenever I disconnected it. Um, and so I couldn't play any games. I couldn't like – watch any of the shows that i watch because i do them entirely through streaming services like i don't even have downloaded versions of them because i just watch them in the browser um i it was super weird i'm like i this computer is almost is basically useless to me for the next week and it was a strange thing to realize that wouldn't have been the case right like five years ago certainly not 10 years ago right um and it makes me it makes me somewhat empathetic to people to readers like this no completely um even though most of the time, like you, I'm I just don't even notice because right. I just have internet going all the time. Yeah, and that was just to answer his first question. No, totally, yeah, I wasn't talking yeah, about it, yeah. which I can relate to entirely. But I think yeah. like it's good this he wrote yeah. in just because I think now his, it's forcing us to think. I about think it. his point of posterity is a good one as well, um, because games are. I mean, it's totally true that film was once like that. You know, at the point where you could only see films theatrically, but there was still a warehouse with. Well, that that's mean? not what I mean to say, but I'm what I'm saying is that. Um, the so then we had the advent of home video blah 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 um i feel like even though film is kind of becoming more that way again just in the sense that a lot of people watch it in these um this kind of uh, ephemeral way where it just exists as a streamed thing as a blip and then you know netflix can take the license away or whatever the game like the that content like that canonical content of that film is so is still so much of a simpler chunk of data than like an online server that has to be authenticated right on e- on like through some proprietary thing that EA owns you know like that just seems like such a more specific crazy hard to reproduce or ever turn back on thing like once EA makes the decision to turn off SimCity that seems way more irrevocable 
then like we're not the Netflix isn't streaming. The this core anymore. content of that game lives on your machine, though. That's true. It's just you, at that point, like I mean, you have to crack it's not it an and, like, or, or whatever. Like, well, is there precedent for them being like we're shutting this always on DRM game off on our side? There's, but we're unlocking it on your side. There's lots of precedents of of multiplayer games being shut down and just being shut down, and that's it. I well, mean, that makes sense in the that. in the sense that I know hosting a server. No, I, I know yeah. it does, but I'm saying it's. It's crazier to extend that to a single. Well, it's we're like, just we're just getting to the first couple kind of, of years yeah. of like with yeah. of like the Ubisoft stuff, mm-hmm. Diablo like three sort of and SimCity. Yeah, StarCraft two. But like yeah, yeah, ten years from now, and they're just like you know, it'll, Blizzard, be, it'll be interesting. Like, we're changing our but, all of our right. infrastructure. Yeah. The Are they that, just gonna like push a quick update <laughs> and then back away? Well, the thing that's gonna be weird is what they will. Why would they? Because why not? Because at one point, I think the game doesn't have any value at retail anymore. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, at by cer- that point, the audience for that one specific game oh, is going to be saying. small enough that, like, why do they... They can just piss off the small yeah, people. Like, what the small they care? Like, the only it's... real reason is that you wouldn't have to maintain <clears throat> the server costs, but you could still have that game be making you tens of thousands of dollars on Steam. Like through Steam? Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Like, just sort of the... Just as part in, of the, catalog The sales. indefinite back catalog. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, if yeah. you want... If, like, that's the, like, yeah. goes into syndication version of that game, right, it would make, right, it would right. make sense. But yeah, the thing that'd be interesting. The thing that's going to get weird is the next step of this, when, like, right now you can say, oh, well, the bulk of the, of the you know... The core single player experience is still locally stored. A hacker or whatever right. can just I make mean, you a, a 500k it. patch that that severs that link, and mm-hmm. then you have the archival copy that it can exist forever. But SimCity parentheses 2017 could easily have its entire or like 80 like you could have a tiny client, it's a little executable, and then you're all, literally just you're streaming yeah. everything off of their off of yeah. the server. Like it's a single player experience that works the way that like some right. MMOs do and right. well even then even like but then they're like, gonna be the switch where they're gonna be, off, that's just gonna be erased I mean that's like a Facebook game where like when Facebook like yeah. Zynga did you see that this at this point thing? yeah Zynga yeah. launches a game and then three months later it's like well it's gone forever now we, like, like what's the point of even getting in yeah somebody said what's the point of getting I saw that on Twitter yeah. somebody made a comment of like what's the point of being curious about your games and getting into them if it could be gone in two months yeah you know that's if, a crazy like why not just leave a small that one really is just gone forever yeah yeah any no, sort of no small community that came up along that game. game. Yeah. Like, well, the problem with that does is one it kills, guy who grabs all the code for it. But Maybe. it kills your evangelist, right? You can't. I don't think you can have yeah. a company long term that way yeah. because it kills the people who create these small. Take a chance and yeah, and then they have yeah. you know like a few thousand people who are super into this one Facebook game and build a community around it and like really are the like the heart of your fan base. So when times are tough, they're still there. Yeah, when that it's the, that trust erosion is a thing that companies are really I think often quick to dismiss. Until it because suddenly you can't be- point straight to a dollar of it, but then it suddenly becomes the, the talking problem, point, and then it suddenly becomes the front page of Kotaku multiple days in a row, and then suddenly your Facebook wall of people you didn't even know were playing this fucking game are complaining every time a new piece of news comes out about it, and then it's very surprising. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, the other the, the other one last point, the thing that really blows about this for especially a guy like, this, like somebody like this reader is that all these things are starting to like companies are hungry to adopt all of these. You know, DRM strategies and also this cloud-based strategies. I mean, all the way to like render in the cloud and push crazy graphics mm-hmm. to your machine. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's also happening at the same time as, as a bandwidth war on the like the main carriers. You know, whether it's Verizon or AT and T or Comcast or whoever, they're so reticent to do anything to upgrade the technology to bring us data. Be, you know, and also the throttling of data 
Well, then you get it's into such, the horrible yeah, situation like, of the bandwidth providers are also content providers and they don't want to pay to yep, carry other people's yep. content to your house. Barf. Yeah, all that yeah. Comcast, NBC shit. Like, yeah. Yeah, that stuff is crazy. So just move to that town in Kansas that has Google Fiber. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> solution, I guess. Don't live in Melbourne, I guess, which is where this guy's from. Melbourne, Florida? Australia. Or Australia. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, Adam was just was in Melbourne, Melbourne oh, Florida okay. like a week ago. Yeah, yeah. Hi to our readers in both Melbournes. <laughs> Um, you guys are both in former Thanks for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. You guys are both in <laughs> prisoner populous <laughs> societies. All right. So ju- next email. All right. Jude Jackson writes, Dear Thumbs, a while ago, I think Auto Thumbs eighty eight lacks restraint. You talked about how impressed you were with the design of one house in Far Cry 3. Yeah. One of you made the comment that an architect must have had a hand in that project because it was so beautiful and well-crafted, not just from a visual design standpoint, but also because it looked like a lived-in place someone could actually call home. Pause. Except, is this, for, the, is except, this from, except for the gun, the fucking uh, gun vending machine. Vending machine. Yeah. Is this when the guy goes, well, surprise, bitches. I'm an architect, and I did it. Oh, man. Is I, that what happens no, next? No, it's not. Oh. But it would have been for, I'm just a fucking video game level designer. <laughs> I've never seen a house in my life. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so that's... I'm one of those Russians who lived in Siberia. Yeah. Did you read that in the Smithsonian yeah, Magazine yet? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. There's an article, but we just did a bad aside. There's an article in this month's uh, Smithsonian Magazine about a Russian family that lived in the Siberia, in Siberia for 40 years, 150 miles away from any town yeah. to escape, escape persecution, and it's yeah. fascinating. They didn't know World War II had happened. No. <laughs> yeah. It was longer than 40 years, wasn't and it? And the it girls... Was like, wasn't it like... It was, I thought it was from like 1935 until 1975. Yeah, it was okay, 30s yeah, to the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. God, it was unbelievable. Unreal. Yeah. yeah. The daughters that have their own like mumbly language. Yeah. Bonkers. Good um, crazy. Anyway, so the actual remainder of the email. So it's is, not from one of the. It's not <laughs> sadly. I was hoping it was too, and I started reading it when okay. I started reading it, but it turns out it's not. Uh, my question is, he says, do you working in the games industry find a lot of people coming from different, totally different backgrounds? Do studios actively seek out people from games unrelated fields? Have any of you had any interesting experiences working with consultants or just people from totally different professional backgrounds? Cheers, Jude. So, I mean, there's kind of two points to that. One is like, I know in the team at Jurassic Park, they were like, let's go talk to the guys at Berkeley. Dinosaurs. But I don't know. I, I, what's funny, the thing about the video game industry is because people, people are, there's such a long line of people to get in and people are willing to like put up with so much and take such bad wages to do it that you don't really get a lot of the cross-disciplinary yeah, I don't think. Um, I don't but when you do, it's awesome. Yeah, I don't think like, that, film gets it a lot. Yeah, like I know a guy who Valve gets a yeah. lot. <laughs> so you can see, yeah. <laughs> there's an issue here. Maybe you organize labor and money, mm-hmm. uh, or money. Um, yeah, it's not a thing that's sought just because it, you don't have to look for it. By the way, that the industry job market works. Right. But yeah, the people who do come from weird other fields are always super cool. Well, I've been. I mean, we've been really fortunate because like, we're hiring right now and like you and i are kind of like very at the front of that move and also for like the writing department we've been able to like find people with non-game backgrounds because the sort of technical requirements for that job aren't as stringent so we're looking at playwrights we're looking at people who just pierre worked in a shoe store before (laughs) coming to telltale one of our like one of our environment modelers brian uh was like a prop builder and woodworking and model making guy before he got into CG. And because of that, like he comes at environment making from such a different way than people who just 
started in 3D and have only existed in 3D. Yeah. Like, like if Brian built it, it probably works. Yeah. It's probably if you ask him to yeah. build the like a clock, you have to generally tell him not to make the insides or at least <laughs> yeah. at least he's disappointed that he doesn't get to make the insides right. but if yeah, you say yeah, yeah. you are making the insides the budget for the environment goes up by three but then you can flip it around and there's a clock inside and it's amazing yeah i i one of my absolute favorite things is when i <clears throat> is when i work with someone who uh who comes from just a crazy background i um not, not even crazy but just unusual because most people in this industry don't you know as you kind of said sean like most of us are very similar you know um in kind Some of say core. we sound the same. Yeah, I know. Um, when I was at Irrational, I sat next to Nate Wells, who at the time was the art director there, and he left, um, I don't know, six months ago, a year ago maybe, to go work at Naughty Dog. Um, but he was at Irrational for, you know, a decade. He worked for Looking Glass for, fee- for a few years before that. So he goes way back. But he also was originally, like, a uh, studied medicine and has a huge interest, interest in archaeology. And it's just someone who just fundamentally is interesting. You know, you have a conversation with him and he just clearly has such an interesting, diverse selection of interests and past experience that just does not in any way feel like standard video game industry artist. you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, I think it really shows like it, he, he has, he's an, has an incredible uh, imagination, but it's grounded in a really specific way that gives him a really great, mesh of kind of an understanding of the fantastical but also the actual grounded nature of our mm-hmm. world and I, I think that that shows up in a lot of irrational work um and i i, I find that to be so frequently the case uh, when you're dealing with people who don't just purely come from the like i always i've always wanted to be in video games mm-hmm. all my portfolio is all looks like video looks mm-hmm. like everything that's been in video games like that's not not to disparage uh, any individual people from that background because there's obviously a bajillion super talented people who that's their exact deal. Um, but I, I so frequently fought, like Clint Hawking played in punk bands for years before he started working as a level designer at, um, at Ubisoft Montreal. Um, and I don't know if you could necessarily Jake point worked to, in public television. <laughs> I don't know if you can necessarily point to like any particular thing <laughs> about suit. Yeah, like, I got it. Okay. That's what we about Clint Hawkins work and be like, Sesame Oh, that's because I wish you like, could, weird punk tour experience you know but i think it probably helped just make him yeah an interesting person in the abstract i do think a lot of i sat here thinking about it i think a lot of like really highly specialized fields suffer from this problem like i was talking to amelia about about anthropology which from our distance it seems like the most like heterogeneous like esoteric like yeah just you know people doing all sorts of like insane wild ex- experimental things mm-hmm. and exploring all these mm-hmm. great places and talking to all these different people mm-hmm. and it's just steeped in diversity, but it's not, you know, it's a lot of people who kind of have the same sort of like yeah. academic path, the same people who went to the same top 25 universities who are mm-hmm. all being funded by the same, like, you know, NSF grants, all these sorts of things. I think it's, you it, know. I think you're right. It's true for a lot of things like people, you know, you go into business and you know, you go to one of the business fraternities in college, you pledge to one of those yeah. and like you, you hang out with, you get your MBA from like, I mean, it's just politics. Like right. people at this point, 
politicians tend to be career politicians, rather right. like historically, often politicians would come from all different walks of life and then they would end up in public service. Um, now people go and like immediately start working as like a page in Washington. Like, right. you know, I mean, there's exactly these, uh, these professional fields are becoming so narrow right. in, because co- competition is so great right. that, you know, people feel like, well, you can't not have that edge if you want to succeed. But right. but I, I do find myself constantly thankful when you run into the people who just right. kind of drifted into the thing they're doing. And I feel like the perspective that can bring is so valuable. Right. Just, and I, and I think that's valuable. just sort of like the takeaway should be if you come from a different walk of life but want to get into the business, like don't. <laughs> you won't get a job. That's it's precisely my point, Jake. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, it's just so specialized and so siloed at this point. Like the rest of society, just do what you do what you know. We have another thanks for the It's question. our goal to make this podcast as somber and <laughs> shitty as possible at every turn. I'm dying over here. Have you ever wished you could turn back time? Have you ever wished you could not do a video game podcast? Have you ever wished? Wow, we you had that's a baby. Well, been really easy to accomplish. <laughs> we had a baby. That what? Like, that looked like Nick Brecken. Oh. <laughs> I have wished that. Yeah. I don't even need baby Nick Brecken. I just need a baby that kind of looks like Nick Brecken. That could probably be achieved. All I right, don't know. readers. Please write to questions.outofthumbs.net with photographs of your Nick Brecken looking baby. Please scan a 3D mold of Nick Brecken's face and then place it over a baby like you do like a pumpkin so that as it grows, its face is forced oh, to mold God. into Nick Brecken's God. face it's shape. The, it's the foot binding. Yes. Of, oh, this podcast is seriously the worst. <laughs> this is the worst. The That was the low watermark. What? That was terrible. That doesn't exist. It's like the Japanese bottle cat. It's a fake internet thing. They don't really put masks of Nick Bregan's face on babies. Oh, they don't? No. They. The Japanese or people? (laughs) No, just humans. Okay. Parents. Understood. All right. Forrester writes, uh, Dear Idle Thumbs, Recently I've been thinking about how I explore games and why some games always seem to have more for me to explore even if I've played them for a long time. Some of these games include Master of Magic, Jazz Jackrabbit 2, Dungeon Keeper, Super Mario World, Heroes of Might and Magic 1 through 3, Topical, Heroes of Might and Magic. Eclectic mix thus far. Yep. Um, they require superhuman timing and knowledge of the inner workings of the game. Uh, for example, beating Super Mario World in 2 minutes 36 seconds. Um, or something as mundane as a randomly generated map in a 4X game. I've been thinking about this because my girlfriend and I have been thrown into a long-distance relationship and we've been playing Heroes of Might and Magic 3 together online. That's really nice. Yeah. I find often her joy of exploring the world comes from discovering new things, whereas mine comes from finding things in the world that uh, are pleasing through the rules that I already understand in the game. My question in all this is what kind of exploration is important within the game? Is it the thrill of exploring the uniqueness of the world or is it some kind of meta exploration of the mechanics that happen once you grasp or partially grasp the rules? Um, the SEMA ended up longer, so I'll end it with this. Thanks for the great listening material. It's very interesting to listen to. Except Nick Brecken, signed for <laughs> <laughs> Wow. He's referring to the that's baby even, version. He's okay. referring to the yeah, baby, baby version. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. That's uh, even that's even worse than fuck Nick. Like, fuck Nick Brecken. It's sort of like, ha ha, I can roll right off my back. It's like, everything's great except Nick Brecken. It's like, it's so much <laughs> more like weasels in between your ribs. The, the way he just crawls it, inside you and lets you, makes you die. Material. It's very interesting to listen to, except Nick Brecken. <laughs> I don't know. That was really funny. Okay. It's very funny. It's a very funny. Sorry, Nick. We love you. Congrats. I don't have that f- the feeling that he's describing with games very often, but I do. Actually, that's a lie. I was. G- I think about it in the context of films, though, where like. Yeah. Really often when I'm watching a movie, I appreciate the execution of a moment more than I appreciate the actual moment. And it's because of just school punching the knowledge of how to. Oh, and well, the you've pre- talked experience. about this specifically with respect to games. Before. Yeah, but I, I always 
my brain goes to films first, and even mm-hmm. then, I think about the fact that I also think about it in games as well. But like, mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like that factor is just a, just a hallmark of really well made, like incredibly well thought out experiences. So I think like the diversity of games that he's talking about in his email is sort of like points to that, right? Like, I continually learn something new about Dota, about how to play the game. Like, I can always feel there are lords I haven't played yet, and abilities i you know i haven't wielded yeah. right and I think- it's not just a amount it's also just sort of you know like for at lunch today or we got back from lunch i watched like five minutes of a guy named dendy from navi playing uh on a stream and he just did some shit that i was like oh my god like all the things i still have let yet to learn you know yeah, yeah, yeah. but then at the same time i can explore a space um for a long, long period of time that doesn't have any sort of depth and mechanic and simply just has a new way of looking at the world, you know? So, you know, what's interesting about the two types of exploration he pointed out. This is interesting because to me, I wasn't thinking about this ahead of time, but it actually, I think points to something that is like, I I think actually in my brain, I have two almost entirely separate Very rough. I mean, this is not a hard divide. But is this like form versus content appreciation? Yeah, but I, I kind of put games into different categories in my brain. And then depending on which one they end up in, I almost just like don't give a shit about the other side. Unless the game is really super well made. Right. But like I was talking like, about this is a Clash soup. Of, I'm going to use a spoon. Yeah, this exactly. Like food. I was talking about Clash of Heroes to, yeah. today. And it's like that's a game where I love the game system. I think it's fantastic and I want to keep playing of it it would be impossible for me to be less interested in all the thematic stuff. And to me, like, I wish the game didn't have that stuff in it. Like, right. I really wish it just wasn't even in my way. Because the the actual, to me, just to me, I'm not saying anyone else might not feel differently, whatever, but, like, the soul of that game to me is the game system. But then I play something like Miasmata, and I the systems are obviously incredibly important in that game. In fact, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, the, the just core experience comes out of the system but the what's even more important, it's like paramount to me in that game is just that feeling of raw exploration right. and discovery, you know, and like that, that takes precedence over and I can forgive some of the janky mechanical stuff because the, the primacy of just the total world. So is, would like, would Portal 1 be an example for you of a game that hits both? I think so. Yeah. Because that's yeah. like when you were describing the two halves of that, the first, that's the first game that yeah. like, obviously I would, in an ideal world that would be the actual, that would be the, the goal right. that games are striving for generally, right? I mean, it would be that that incredible marriage of the two. Realistically, I think relatively few games do. So right. I, tend, so I you, tend to fall. You hope that at least there's a focus on one or the other. Yeah, and it bums yeah. me out because this is a thing that I want that is impossible. I, it's never going to happen. I wish developers, just broadly speaking, had the, like, willingness to identify which which one their game is about right. and stop trying to it's like, hard with mechanical the other. Games, i know right? it's like I know well, it like is. if you were gonna if you were gonna take the game you're playing right now might and magic yeah and say no theme i don't know if i'd say no theme. or like i think i want them theme, at least guess, to like know? downplay it more like that is kind of one of the things that i think king's bounty does better so right theme, you know like theme I as context they, and not as yeah, like exactly. as motivator right i think like Something like in Clash of Heroes, I do think it is just objectively not great to have me to have like three minutes 
of just two talking heads right that makes pop sense. up in the middle of my i'm thinking screen, more about you know, and i've only like, seen like being played in little videos I haven't played the game but like are you okay with the theme that comes pouring out of the screen during play or is it still too over the top? No, it's fine. When I'm yeah. just in the game, when I'm in, when you're actually playing the game, yeah. When I'm actually manipulating playing the game, I'm totally fine pieces. with that. Okay, you know, no, there's no one like in the middle of the battle being like, "Oh my god, he killed our guy," right. and then like taking over my screen. Right? Like, like the game that, wouldn't be better to you if it was the exact same level of intensity, but, but with was, like chess pieces. Well, I was even going to say like military guys. No, no, I think it's all the thing that they you. did in the actual game is fine. Okay, you know, in the game part, right? And I that's I guess that's what I mean is I wish. I think it'd be nice if more frequently developers were willing to just yeah. say, you know what, let's – this is like the upper cap of how intrusive our theme is going to get. Maybe let's just keep it there. Right. And for all I know – And by intrusive, you really mean just kind of keeping you away from the core mechanical experience. I mean, yeah. OK. Or like not whatever, just sort of like giant explosions. about, right. right? Like maybe it's not even core mechanical. Maybe it is just world exploration. Who right. knows? But like whatever it is. The game is not about pressing the button to get through the dialogue. Yeah. It's not about reading this like just yeah. infinite pages of, of all this stuff. You're so much better at ignoring a theme that you don't care about than I am though. Like – they didn't get my five dollars because I looked at the game and just went, man. I know there's a good. I can see. Yeah, the, yeah, like yeah. I really liked um, Advance Wars a lot. Oh, me too. I like that game a lot. Yeah, it's fantastic. And um, for some reason, I just like when it's sort of strategy game with Japanese inspired sort of guys coming in from the left and the right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's what this and game that has art in it. that art style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just sort of was okay. I don't know. The game, like I knew I could see past the theme into the game. Right. Right. And right. knew sort of the types of experiences that were over there. Yeah. But I just said, eh, I'm not willing. And I'm just not going there. Mismata is a, is a good example of an exploration based experience that you, that to bring that up just because I think because Mismata is so systemically dense, it, it's easy to sort of confuse or conflate what's going on with other things, but like all, all the things that you're asked to do in Miyazmata are entirely about uncovering more things. And it's not, it's, it's sorry. I hadn't, I just hadn't thought about that before, about the, the, the goal of the game is to explore, right? There's just, there's yeah. no, there's no agility within the systems that's required. It's more like you, by using them, you learn more about them, which you then use to learn more about the world. Yeah. And that's actually well, you're also like a lot of the systems are just stay alive so you can explore more. You right. Know, like it's the, they are actually there like just for subsistence purposes rather than like to to affect something externally like kill a bunch of guys or whatever. Right. You know, like they're literally just allow me to keep exploring this place. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Miyazmata obviously is kind of a – it's obviously a little bit janky in a lot of ways. It's There's a lot of rough edges. But I think that's just because it was made by two guys who made their own engine from yeah. scratch, not because they fundamentally like misunderstood – the balance you know right. between those types of right of i don't course. think it's a poorly designed game but no the, i don't exactly the, yeah, the right, intent yeah. behind all the things in it regardless of the specifics of yeah, how it's yeah, executed yeah. Mm-hmm. whereas i mean yeah. whereas a lot of games i think just kind of miss the mark in terms of what of like what what emphasis they put where you know or like how what percentage of my time is spent doing this right yeah. versus well, that you know yeah, sorry. I was, I was just the entire time you guys were talking about might and magic i was thinking about miasmata versus yeah, yeah, portal yeah. because i'd never really thought about mm-hmm. those things but just yeah yeah. And like even something like Journey, I think, was actually an incredibly Did you guys play Journey? No. Oh, you gotta play it. I know. You really should. It's only a few hours long. I know. It's that game to me is just a triumph of restraint. I mean, it's like they just didn't they did not waste a bunch of time on almost anything that they shouldn't have. 
you know, like given given the scope of what they are trying to do with that game, they just knew where to put that effort and where to emphasize in the player experience and not just feel compelled to throw in this and this and this because that's what a video game does. It's exactly the type of – like not to say I'd want to see a bunch of games that play identically to that or look identically to that even though it plays well and looks great. But it's not that. It's just the like intrinsic understanding of what the actual soul of this game is and where should we put our effort and where should we direct the player's effort. And like they, The understanding of that is so, so rarely achieved like regardless of what type of game it is. Um, I think that game serves as a really good signpost. Um, that I th- I think people working in almost any genre could learn from, even if they have to adapt it to different types of gameplay systems or worlds or whatever. Um, I don't know. I think that game is so smartly scoped. I don't know if it was smartly scoped from a production standpoint, right? Like I don't know if it was right. under budget or anything, but like from a from an end result like design standpoint, it feels incredibly well scoped to me. Um, so I wanted to just call that out because I don't think we talked about Journey very much, Not much, but it's super duper good. Maybe next week. Um, I've played that a long time ago at this point. Uh, Patrick. Cloudpick? No. Uh, <laughs> Patrick Donabedian hmm, says, hi, Thumbs. Hi. Also, get well soon, Patrick Klepik. Is he sick? He broke his collarbone in a bike wreck, I think, or something. Oh, wow. Get well soon, surgery. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Patrick, not that guy, says, hi, Thumbs. While listening to your latest episode on the Porcelain Throne, I heard Chris's recommendation of <laughs> Drop 7, an Android puzzle game. That game's mm-hmm. also on iOS. Just I don't want to hear about Drop 7 on the Porcelain Throne. <laughs> <laughs> he says, since I'd been looking for another stupid game to play on my phone, I decided to download it in C2. I started playing while still listening. I thought you mispronounced Throne. So oh. I thought you mispronounced <laughs> Throne as phone. Sorry, I just had a second. <laughs> Sorry, Sean. Since I'd looking for, been looking for another stupid game to play on my throne, I decided to download it in C2. I started playing while still listening, and not only did I not notice when the episode was over, but when I finally came to my senses, finished my business, and went to stand up, my legs had fallen so yeah. so completely asleep that I toppled over and flung my brand new phone into the waiting bowl of the toilet. Oh my god! Now the screen is broken. Video games make people into idiots. Congrats, everyone, and fuck everyone, Patrick. <laughs> you can easily blame toilets there. Making people idiots. You could blame human beings need to poo. Yeah, but the reason he was on the toilet for so long, the reason his legs right. went dead is because of video games, because of Jake. Why'd you keep that guy in the toilet? Well, it's like Lethal Weapon. Is that Lethal Weapon 2? I don't remember. Remember when Danny Glover sitting on the toilet? Mel Gibson. Did I tell you guys I saw Danny Danny Glover in the Best Buy in San Francisco? Dude, you could have totally stolen his shoes. <laughs> just knocked him down. He was just sitting in the, like, nerd alert area whatever that thing's called the nerd geek squad, squad? wait geek squad yeah he really was, yeah he was just sitting are you up. sure it was danny glover i'm 100 sure because i walked by you know because you know what's funny this is this is our shitty modern world i walked by him like right by him and i'm like i think i know that guy because the only thing my brain latched onto was recognition right right it wasn't like any other right anything more specific i've like, had that exact same experience with celebrities it's weird yeah of, yeah yeah which is horrible to think about but like it's that was my reaction. I walked by and I'm like, I think I know that guy. Is it weird that I didn't say hi? Like maybe he recognized me and I'm like now it's weird. And so I deliberately avoided him and it was like 20 minutes later that I'm like, wait a second. That was fucking Danny Glover. And I – and I Which, and To him thought, that fucking sucks. He's like, ugh, another guy being a fucking weirdo near me. No, I know. But so that – I wouldn't talk to that guy. So that, I thought I recognized that guy. I was like, this Ramo? So then I like walked by in the other direction – Trying to be inconspicuous, which of course meant I'm sure I was being conspicuous, like glancing over at him and then to confirm 
okay, it definitely 100% is fucking Danny Glover still sitting there in just a chair in the middle of the nerd squad. They're fixing his iBook. Uh, they, I think they were fixing a, a computer thing of his, yeah. It saddens me that Danny Glover has to wait has for to that. Go to the fucking doesn't geek just squad. know He's somebody who can fix his shit, computer. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Ever wish you could rewind time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and so I had to – it was so fucking weird. I must have walked by him like four times in just like what my successive – Oh, he was stalking Danny Glover. I was buying – I was actually there to buy an HDMI adapter for the Xbox for the Idle Thumbs office oh, okay. so I could play Halo 4. That was the night right, right, right. When, when I bought Halo 4 so I could talk about it on the podcast um, or when we bought the Xbox for, for the Idle Thumbs office. And like and, – and so I went – and they didn't even have one. I walked to, I walked to the Best Buy from the Idle Thumbs office – so like, Danny Glover conceivably was within walking distance of this office. Not conceivably. He definitely was. Well, for Danny Glover. Like what? you – I mean you, he's, he's getting up there. Like could he – you know, he might get tired. It was like – it's like a five-minute walk. He okay. could have walked out of thumbs. Uh, he, Why did you ask him to be on the podcast? <laughs> it was super weird. I walked by him like four times and I – in this like various states of just brain confusion before finally realizing what was going on. And then I posted about it on Twitter, and every fucking reply was just like, "Didn't did was he too old for this shit?" That was just everything. Mm. So that, and then I didn't. They didn't have the fucking adapter. So then wow. I just left. It was so weird. I walked into this Best Buy. They didn't have this the thing I wanted. This experience was constructed, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. This was this was a, the fucking Voight comp test or some shit. Anyway, I don't remember why. I, I don't remember one. either. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Are we done with this podcast? Can we be done? We are. Now? It's actually over. Okay. We're good. This is the questions at thumbs.net. Um, if Thanks you have for listening. Danny Glover experience, uh, or video games, or if you are Danny Glover, or if you're creating an, a horrible Nick Brecken child uh, construction in your home. Goodbye. Oh, hi. What do you think of this episode, Sean? Oh, I would subscribe to this shit on iTunes. <laughs> video We should talk about how good Aliens Colonial Marines is. (laughs) Done. (laughs) If that came through, I'm putting it on the podcast.